Sarah, I hear you have some stupid stories for us this week. Yes, Kelly. Last week on Tales from My Box, I told Tales the story. I can't say that without laughing. You made me laugh. Okay. You know what it sounds like to me? What? Ducktails. I mean, you say that. <laughs> Ducktails. That's what you think of? Yes. Side point. Okay. So last week on Tales okay. from Your Box. Seriously, people. On Tales from My Box. I told a story about how I had a really stupid injury from doing sit-ups and people, thank you so much for your stories. I heard from so many people on this. I couldn't possibly mention them all. And, and most of them are hilarious, but I want to give a few special mentions. Okay. So first of all, Jessica, who had the same injury as me, but like completely trumped me because hers turned into a festering wound. She had to go to the ER. She and, and, ER and explain it to them. Yes. And this is current. She's currently on antibiotics for doing sit-ups and getting a wound, like a chafing wound on her sit bone from CrossFit. I don't think you guys are doing sit-ups right. So <laughs> an excellent point. Excellent point. We should analyze our technique, me and Jessica. Okay. And then we have Emily who emailed to say that she sprained her ankle studying one time where her foot studying like in quotations no studying so on quotations so she was studying with her foot tucked under uh like cross-legged and her foot fell asleep and when she stood up she just heard like that horrible noise have you ever rolled Uh, your ankle yeah i've also had that happen had my foot go to sleep while i'm sitting but i didn't sprain it yeah she said she sprained it quite badly it affected her it was when she was in college and she was a swimmer so it affected her um (laughs) swimming for quite a few weeks so that was embarrassing. I understand. Okay. okay. And lastly, we have Robert. This is a good one. Okay. So Robert says he suffered a season ending injury, which severed two tendons and did oh, permanent God. nerve damage. Was he damage. cutting an avocado? Because that's what it always is. <laughs> no, it's worse than that. He did permanent nerve damage to one of his fingers. Okay. Oh. And you know that beer brand Erdinger? That, yes, that they sponsor a lot of triathlons. Yeah, sponsor a lot of triathlons. They have an alcohol-free beer, right? So he won the Vancouver fifty-one fifty race, and on the podium they handed him. An Did he try to like glass. spray it? No, and it just what are his words? He said it shattered in my hands on the podium during the awards oh, ceremony. Oh God! Yeah. That's terrible. So, that like, oh, that's making me cringe right now. Yeah. Season ender right there. So Robert takes the win, but I have more stories that I'm going to save some for next week. But for this week so far, I feel like Robert is in first place for a story. Okay. And, uh, you also have a tale from your box, but after. Yes. Break. So after the break, another tale from my box. Uh, and then we're going to follow up on our conversation about the qualification system for Kona 70.3 worlds and why people are going to Kona so early these days. The crazy speed records that were set this week. We also have a voicemail from Kelly's mom. <laughs> from Kelly's mom. <laughs> Thank you. And did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay. That's what's coming up on the show after this. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast get 20% off with the code RIDING at Ass Kicker Inc., Inc. with a K, 
Com. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the titty to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Okay. So I don't want to get too caught up on tails from my box, because, but I have a new CrossFit injury this week. and just equally as stupid. I feel like one week, the tail from your box is going to have to be the other kind of box. <laughs> FYI. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll co- try to come up with like a vagina story for <laughs> next week, but okay. So this week I got, I ordered a skipping rope. This is my first, oh, my own yeah. skipping rope. Okay. So it's my first thing I've ever ordered. That's like CrossFit specific equipment. Okay. A jump so rope. A, a jump rope. This is yeah. your big CrossFit equipment. Yeah, this is it. This is it. $20. And <laughs> and so I go and I'm all excited about it. Okay. And and side point, I was all excited and I um what do you call it? I like challenged the coach to a skipping double unders contest, which Did I Did you like whip yourself? I've done that. Okay, you're up- get you're getting ahead of the story. <laughs> I feel like you might have some experience in what I'm about to say. I feel like every stupid injury, there's not something I, can, I haven't done. <laughs> I feel like I'm in good com- company. No, I challenged the coach to a competition that I knew I was going to lose. And then he did 108 double unders and oh, I God. did 38. You did so. 38 in a row unbroken? Yeah. Oh man, I can only string like five, 10 together. Okay. My previous record is 43. So I didn't even get like a PB. So I was kind of upset about that. And, but he did 108. So at least now I know my new goal, 108. Okay. But afterwards I continued to practice skipping with my new rope because I was very excited. And I did exactly as you just said. And literally, I don't know how it happens. Maybe you can explain this to me, but like I whipped myself in the ass and it, and I have a big welt and then I did it again. And so I look like I've been in on top of like this, on top of like the scabbing on my sit bone, the bruises that I have on my quads and my shins from the bar. Oh, not to mention my, like, what do you call this? Your collarbone? She's on pointing. She's coll- pointing on a podcast because <laughs> that's going to be helpful to our listeners. Bruises on my collarbone and my shoulders. Now I have a giant like rope lash mark on my ass. Well, people might interpret that to be any number of things. That's what so. I thought. Anyway. See, who knew CrossFit was going to be more dangerous for you than <laughs> triathlon? You would have thought with the biking and triathlon, but there you go. But on the upside, it's been a while since I've felt like crying and running away. So, well, there you go. Things are better. Perks all around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Sarah, I know you don't pay attention to triathlon anymore because you're a CrossFitter. I do. Now, apparently. I do, Kelly. I love triathlon. But doesn't it seem like everyone's already in Kona and people are going and it's what we're four weeks out now. Yeah. Four weeks. I only know that because people have been Instagramming it. And I swear to God, that didn't used to be the norm. Like it didn't used to be that everyone went six weeks beforehand. 
it seems like it's getting earlier and earlier when you because you've raced it as a pro, right? Yes. Six times. When did you go? Okay. So when I was thinking about this and the first time I raced as a pro was 2005. And but the first time I raced as anything, it was 2005. And I went there 10 days ahead. Like I went on the Wednesday for a race that was the following Saturday. Right. And nobody was there. Like I had a homestay and I wasn't acclimatized. So this was my plan with my coach to go 10 days to acclimatize. And there were no triathletes there until the weekend. Right. But then like fast forward 12 years and last year when Ashley and I went two weeks ahead of time to do the coverage, I was shocked at how many pros age groupers were there and had already been there for a week or two. So it is becoming the norm. It's totally becoming the norm. And it's not just the pros. Like it's definitely age groupers going. And I know this like sounds silly because I ended up going like four weeks in advance because I was house sitting for a family friend in on the big island so i ended up just like hanging on the big island for four weeks but people thought that was crazy people were like oh my god that's so amazing it was not normal and that was only three or four years ago because that was my last year as an age grouper so that was like what three years ago anyway it's changed recently it's definitely changed the wisdom in my day was that like you didn't want to get burnt out by too much heat by being there too long just in terms of having the pressure you know, I of think so. Kona is coming. Like that was the, that was the thinking that you didn't want to be there for too long. And now it seems to have switched to kind of like, you want to make Kona your home so that by the time you come to race day, you're, you feel like you're just waking up in your own bed and doing a little race. I do have to tell you by when I was there for four weeks and I wasn't even like riding Kona all four weeks, by the time it rolled around, I was kind of like, Oh, feels the usual. Terrible. Seems normal. Yeah. So that's a, that's a plus. You know. Yeah. I think it does. It obviously does work for quite a few people. So, uh, we keep talking about Kona like over and over a week because of this whole like Kona slots allocation thing. And so, I hear people are still talking to you about it. So, oh my God. I, so to sum up real briefly, <laughs> go back and listen to our last two podcasts. But the gist is the way the algorithm by which Ironman awards the number of slots to each age group at a race has changed. And it appears that like behind the scenes, it changed. And it appears that what's going to happen in net is like fewer slots for the women and more for the men, essentially because they're going to give slightly more to the larger age groups. So I heard from a ton of women over the last two weeks, basically saying like, this sucks. Or like everyone being this combined with our talk last week about more women sandbagging at the top end of the amateur field really makes this suck. Like it sucks for women. It's like shitty. I talked about this bunch in the newsletter this week that it doesn't make sense at a time when we're purporting to try and make the barriers lower for women to participate, that we're essentially making decisions behind the scenes that make them higher. I do want to note though. And the only reason I wanted to bring this up on the podcast is a number of people have pointed out to me that although the math, like the algorithmic math that we think is what's right, suggested there would only be one slot per women's age group at a couple of the recent races at Wisconsin. There were actually two in some cases. And so what this means is that we have no idea what Ironman is doing. Like what that means is that we actually don't know for sure what this secret algorithm is. So I feel like we need to like put a pin in this, like bookmark it. Yeah. Remember this and like continue to pay attention down the road. Well, and last last week, sorry, we asked the question about why they're not being more transparent and why right. the the qualification, like the algorithm for how they choose who gets to qualify has changed and they're not telling us. And I mean the obvious answer to that is if it does disadvantage the women, 
they don't want to talk about it. Well, I think they also like to keep things a little opaque because then they can kind of adjust on the fly and like they don't have to explain it. You know what I'm saying? You can imagine if you had to explain all your decisions to neurotic triathletes all the time, it might be exhausting. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't envy them on that front, but but it does raise the question of what is the goal here? As someone pointed out, as Torsten pointed out on Twitter, why make this change where we just like, oh man, there just aren't enough 40 year old men at Coda. Like that's the problem. Or in triathlon in general. <laughs> There's not enough pathways for those 30 right. to 45 year like, old Let's men. just make sure there are more of them. I also think it's interesting that at the same time, this is kind of happening behind the scenes. And like, we've been talking about it a bunch and we've been talking about the specific reasons why it's going to suck for women you know, because of like demographic, like because of field sizes and numbers and stats and all that. At the same time, Ironman announced they're putting like 500. Is that right? 500 more slots for women for 70.3 worlds. And I, this felt so, I don't want to say disingenuous, but like, it felt like such a dichotomy that those, that at the same time, I'm getting all these emails from all these women telling me this sucks. This is discouraging about Kona. Iron Man's announcing, this is great for women. We have all these more spots for 70.3 worlds. I don't know what to do. I don't know if this is just me being hostile, Sarah. How did you take that announcement? You know, I'm of two minds um, about those extra slots for the women. It's it's interesting because you have a you have a two-day event now, right, for 70.3 worlds. So you're running the same event on Saturday as Sunday. So mm-hmm. in my mind, it's like, hey, how about we just offer the same number of slots to the women on Saturday as the men on Sunday? Right. Right. That's a possibility for them. They've done it for the pros. That's it's an option for 70.3 worlds. Now they can do whatever they wanted. Right. Instead, they've chosen to keep the same proportionality argument for the age groupers in terms of how many women get to compete on the Saturday and added these extra slots through women for try. Also through like, to be fair, this is why I'm of two minds is that on the other side, uh, I understand that the, the proceeds from the sales of those slots go to a variety of charities through the Ironman Foundation. Right. So there which is, is like, fine, which is there great. are good things happening. Yeah. yeah. And I don't have a problem with like women for try promoting it or like giving women getting into the sport something to aim for, like giving them a goal to grow into. Like this is what we talk about when we talk about like creating a culture for like to keep the beginners around. I have no problem. With it. it just feels very weird. And I don't yeah. know why it feels yeah. weird. There's a lot of good there. But to me, I know why it feels weird. It feels weird <laughs> because they could just offer completely equal number of slots on both days and they don't. So that's why it feels weird to me. I think it also opens up. I think the way you do that, when you say like, we're going to have these extra slots, it opens up this whole thing about, is it softer and is it easier? And then like, and then it still continues to make it feel like Kona is the more important thing. Like it feels like they're creating that artificial debate by doing it that way. Instead Mm. of just saying it's going to be equal, equal, equal at Kona, equal at 70.3 worlds, end of discussion. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So my mom had some thoughts about Kona and Kona's new sponsor, too. Yes, she did. So I hear that Amazon is now a sponsor of Kona, which is all well and good and fine. But it's because they have a wellness store now. We're selling wellness. I'd do well to not be spending more money. Speaking of which, that hang on your wall, fancy... Uh, computerized adjust the weights fitness machine I've heard the phrase a solution looking for a problem Jesus 
that's a lot of money for something that you could just go do. How about you go for a walk? There you go. Feel better. That's wellness. Okay, so you probably are like, what What the hell is she talking about? Those fancy fitness machines. So it was in the newsletter last week, so like two newsletters ago, that Silicon Valley has started to develop kind of like the smart trainers that we all are accustomed to, but smart workout machines, like smart weight machines and smart fitness trainers that will then like sense what you are adapting to and create workouts for you but they're like $3,000 and then you have to buy a membership. I don't feel like these are necessary things in the world. And neither did your mom. Apparently. And neither did my mom. Yeah. <laughs> so her great advice of going for a walk. I mean, I thought that was good. You're like, I also, I think this term like wellness is really bizarre. It's very trendy. It is. It is very trendy at the moment. Um, and I also feel, and we've talked about this a bunch, like a lot of, a lot of what we choose to do is well outside the bounds of what could be defined as wellness. Right. Yeah. I think there's a, this image of that triathletes are just so healthy and, and well, but turns out a lot, but some of us are actually borderline sick all the time and not, and actually not like our bodies. It's like you're, you're fighting against, you know, getting injured or getting sick. Um, and likewise for marathon runners, or Ooh. anybody going really fast. Anybody going long. Really, A lot of people went really fast this week. Yeah, because did you watch? Okay, so the woman who rode her bike 184 miles per hour, and now granted it was behind this super designed car to like cut down drag and, and a super special spot in the desert and whatever. It's like crazy setup. But did you watch the video? It's I the did. opposite of healthy and wellness. It is the opposite. I was just, okay... <laughs> Okay. So my only, my only experience with speed, right. Which is like, I don't even want to say speed like that. Cause it's not even close to that. But my only experience with that type of speed and being in a draft zone is one time I was training in United Arab Emirates and I was riding with Ferris Al-Sultan. Do you remember him? Yeah. He is he still like, around? He's still around. He is. He coaches Patrick Langa who right, won the Ironman right. world championships last year. <laughs> you may, right, you may be aware. Right. And he, and I was training with him and we used to ride like out into the desert near Dubai. Right. And him and this training partner, Wolfgang, he used to always jump onto trucks, like into the draft zone of trucks. Right. And oftentimes oh, I'd be God. like, you guys are crazy. I'll just meet you at the next gas station or whatever. And one time I'm like, fuck it. I'm doing it. Right. So we jump on his truck and it's going like, I don't know, a hundred Ks an hour, maybe. Right. So that's about 60 miles an hour. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for the conversion there well we need the conversion because the woman who set the speed record went at 184 miles an hour <laughs> for a minute and so actually having had that experience of being literally like one third of the speed in the draft zone so like when, at that kind of speed when you're draft zone you're being sucked in like right just, right you're being like sucked into the draft and it's scary as shit like i still if i think about that i'm like that was really stupid i could have died like all i needed was a pebble in the road and i would have been like you know, like ass over wheel, like dead. Yeah. So that's what scares me. When I watched the video, I having had that experience and realizing how much faster she was going. That's why, that's why I'm scared for her, but she it did was it. A, um, she did it, but yeah, 
because okay so she's the fastest person ever man or woman and the last yes. guy who had the record he did like get in the wrong spot in the you know turbulence coming off the car and oh, like really? crashed out at 160 something miles oh an hour oh my gosh was he injured uh yeah i mean cool. he's okay now this was like he tried to do this like 10 years ago but like it because if you get out of the little safe pocket behind yeah. this car and and if the car goes too fast or too slow and like oh anyway you should people should watch the video it's very disturbing it, it's disturbing and and really cool that a woman set this record there was another world record set this week weekend the marathon world record was set in berlin it's 201 39 now 37 wow. whatever i those the seconds i'm sure are like the super important part there 201 something something we're getting so close <laughs> to that sub too i know i know so anyway, I had a debate going into this about perfect, ideal temperature conditions for marathoning. And so after the break, I think we're going to discuss what is the perfect condition for triathloning versus marathoning. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at AskKickerInc, Inc with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, Crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Hey, so, Kelly, what's the coldest race that you've ever done? Oh, my God. So... Oceanside's always like really cold, right? In the April. And the coldest water I've ever been in was in Pacific Grove because that's like 49 degrees. But the coldest race was Santa Rosa last spring because it was 38, according to my Garmin, when I Ouch. got on the bike and mm -hmm. it starts with a downhill. And you know, you're all like pumped up in transition and you're like, I don't need to put on extra clothes. Screw it. I'm a professional at this. And then I couldn't move my hands. <laughs> like I couldn't squeeze my water bottle. So uh how about you oh man put me on the spot i put you on the spot i can't i don't even know oh scotland in scotland one time it was it wasn't even a triathlon it was a duathlon it was the scottish duathlon championship and i was there i was trying to get on the podium there was money involved and i remember i didn't even it was nine degrees i think celsius I don't know what that translate to celsius and it's like yeah. mid 40s yeah and it didn't i didn't take off my warm-up clothes like I had, you were just I, had like, like, clothes. I, was, I was just like, whatever. I was wearing like gloves, hat. I did a tight. 5k in Chicago that was like around zero degrees. That was terrible. But I actually just, that reminded me one time in college, we did a triathlon where it freakishly snowed. It was like a freak accident in Cal Poly and everyone got hypothermia. And it was terrible because you look like college kids also are ill-prepared. The point of this is, though, the ideal temperature for marathoning has been extensively studied. Like we know that it's around 50 degrees. It's okay. actually like like it's like 51 for women, 49 for men or weirdly. But 
And I, it's only came up because going to Berlin this weekend, there was a lot of talk about like if it would be ideal conditions for a world record, et cetera. And marathoners and runners get so hung up on like exactly the right degrees that I was arguing with a bunch of them. And then it was pointed out that maybe the reason triathlon doesn't get as hung up on like, you know, perfect degree temps is that 50 would actually be like really cold for like a swim or a bike. And so we're like used to it being warmer. So it's already like not ideal for running a marathon. So it's like a little, a little different. What do you think is the perfect? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's multiple factors. It's obviously going to be warmer. The ideal conditions for triathlon are obviously going to be warmer than running. What would be perfect conditions? I would say. But then you still have the factor of like, if it is warmer over that long a day, your your body, your core temperature is still going to be overheating, which is like the, that's the biggest limiter in performance. You know what I'm saying? True. But if you go too cold on the other end, coming out of the water, that becomes a limiter too. So I'm going to go somewhere around 18 degrees. I don't know what that is, Sarah. I don't know what that is. Well, you did the translation a minute ago. Well, I just guessed. I think that's probably what that's like 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's yeah. I was going to say like in the 60s, like low 60s, because you'd be like cold, you'd be like chilly, but you'd be fine. Yeah, that's probably true. And you have to adjust and then you have to adjust your this is you have to adjust your nutrition and stuff too for the cold. If you got that right, you'd be okay. The other factor is that obviously it warms up over the day. So when it's like 60 as you get out of the water, it often is 80 when you hit the run. And then you're like, God damn it, nothing works out. The other thing, the other factor with triathlon, this is why there's no studies, because there's multiple layers to this, but the water temperature compared to the air temperature makes a big difference too. So if the water temperature is cool and the air is warm or vice versa, you're probably okay. But when the water temperature is cold and the air temperature is cold, you're, you can be screwed. There's been years. So the, I was just said the coldest I'd done probably with Santa Rosa last year. There was a couple years before that where technically the water temperature was above the line for pros. So they weren't in wetsuits, but then it was still like cold when they got out. And so even though it's like this hot day in wine country by the afternoon, multiple pros were dropping out with hypothermia because like that difference was just so bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the opposite too with the heat where the, Mm -hmm. where I've been in a wetsuit and you should not have been like overheated and losing electrolytes in a swim. And then actually it was Ironman, Wisconsin, but we'll end on this story, but it was Ironman, Wisconsin. You asked me last week if I'd ever done it. It was the first time I tried triathlon. I ended up with hyponatremia, which is where you lose too much salt. Yeah. Yeah, And I ended up passing out and in the ambulance. So I overheated in the swim. It happens. It happens. 